You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Nice to see you all this morning. I always look forward to this Sunday because everybody comes back to church after summers here, there, and everywhere. Sort of like a family reunion. So good to see you all. I trust you'll get acquainted with everybody again after summer. Uh, I trust that has been uh, meaningful and uh, impactful for you. Uh, Students, who's a student here this morning? Welcome back. Welcome here. Come on. Welcome here. Apparently, I'm the only one excited for students to be here. Uh, You mean so much to us, and we're glad you're here to to, uh, celebrate and share with us. Your uh, enthusiasm and energy for the Lord is always an impact for us, so we're excited to to do life with you again this uh, coming year. Uh, Hopefully, you're all excited about getting together again and just pursuing the Lord together. Summer sometimes gets us everywhere else but the Lord, right? It's not the intention, but it is. And so I pray you're all here excited to dig into God, dig into God's word, to grow more in your faith and to dig into God's purposes for our lives together. And that's where we're at. We're really full of anticipation for the coming ministry year. One of the things I'm really praying for this year as a church is that you probably picked up on it by now. We're going to grow in this. We're going to grow in being a church that's courageous for the gospel and the glory of God. As the world moves further away from God and the things of God, I'm praying we as a church can stand together, arms linked, stand up and stand firm for Jesus and the word of God and the things that matter most. In fact, this is God's call on us as Christians. Christians aren't to be sitting comfortably in the corner. We're to be contending for the faith. Christians aren't to cower in the background. We're to be courageously Leading the charge for Jesus Christ, we are his ambassadors. And it's our joy and our privilege to stand for Jesus in a world that, let's be honest, outright denies him these days. So courageous is the thought for the whole fall. It's the theme of 2 Timothy. So as we get there, let me help you with a little self-evaluation right now. Am I being truly courageous for Christ? You can ask yourself these questions throughout the whole series. Am I truly being courageous for Christ? Because we know this is what God has called us to. Here's number one. Just think about this in your own heart. Four self-evaluation questions. You can scale yourself one to ten. Don't have to write it down. Let the Lord speak to you, though. Am I being courageous? Number one, do I take opportunities to profess Jesus? And my love for him, even when I could be rejected. Are you that person that stands for Christ and is willing to make your love for Jesus known? Number two, do I choose to stand for what's right, even when everybody else says it's wrong? Or do I slump in and try and blend in with the crowd? Number three, does my lifestyle, not just the, the propositional truth, but my, does my lifestyle stand out from those that don't claim to know Jesus or those who are in the world. Here's the fourth one. Do I care more about what God thinks than what others say? Got really quiet first service too. I don't ask you those from a place of arrogance. I ask you those as I check out my own heart. It's easy to say, oh yeah, we're courageous in church. We're courageous. High five everybody and leave here and be like, 
the biggest coward in the world when it comes to things for Jesus. And yet God has not designed us that way. He's got something better for our lives as believers and as a church. In fact, that's the theme of 2 Timothy, courageous. Maybe not in, in official biblical terms, but that's the theme of 2 Timothy. You can turn through your Bibles there if you have your Bible. 2 Timothy is right near the end. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to put your hand up, and I shall be happy to get you a copy of God's Word. I want you to follow along. I don't want anyone here thinking this. These are my ideas I'm giving you today. These are God's ideas from His Word. I'm just going to help you unpack them in a way that I pray is going to be meaningful to your heart. 2 Timothy chapter. One, we're going to start and just going to write through this whole book uh, verse by verse. We're not going to skip anything. We're going to glean all that we can as we know God's call for us is to be a courageous followers of Jesus Christ. So if you're not there, you can get there as I read, but 2 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. The faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us, here's the key verse, for the whole book, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is God's word to his people today. And so, Courageous is the thought that sticks in our minds as hard as we hit 2 Timothy. Let me begin, before I get into the text, let me begin by praying, uh, knowing that I need courage to stand here and preach throughout this book. You need courage to hear these words and apply them to your heart. And we all desperately need God to open our minds and hearts to the full reality of who he is and what he's called us to in this life. So let me get on my knees and pray, showing the utter dependence we all have on the Lord. And you pray with me in your hearts, please. Oh God, we thank you this morning for the awesome, immense privilege of coming into your house with your people and worshiping you in freedom. The fact that we can lift our voices to the heavens and sing from the bottom of our hearts is awesome, God. Thank you for that, that joy and that honor and that privilege. Thank you, God, for the, for the word of God, for the, for the great uh, responsibility I have to preach it and the great uh, privilege we have to hear what exactly you have called us to from your word. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who saved us. Where would we be without Jesus? We'd be destined for an eternity in hell apart from you. But God, you opened our eyes to see and our minds to understand and our hearts to believe. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, which you've given and put within us to enable all things Christian to be a reality in us, including yourself. God, as we go throughout this series, we do pray that you'd move us and shake us and make us into the men and women you'd have us to be. Give us courage where there is cowardice, Lord. Give us belief where there is doubt. Give us all that we need, Lord, to live out your calling. We love you, Lord, and we want your name to truly be known. We truly want your name to be known in our lives and in our church, in our community. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, 2 Timothy, as you know, I always try and give you some background on the book. I don't like to just to jump into something. We can then make it seem whatever we want to say to say, and we don't want that. We want to know what Paul meant to write to Timothy in the context of their day. And sometimes, too, I think we're like, oh, wow, like our context is so different than theirs. And like, they just don't get it. It's not relevant. It is super relevant for our lives. So here's the context of 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, his young protege, and he's writing from a dungeon in Rome. He's in a prison cell, which is a dungeon in Rome, and and it is tough times to be an apostle. It's tough times to be a pastor. It's tough times to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. We think we have it hard today. It's so hard, pastor, today to live for Christ. Wait to hear what Paul and those guys went through. So they lived under a guy named Nero, AD 64 to 68. Nero was King McNasty of the Roman Empire. Like he was the ruthless of the ruthless of the ruthless. Uh, historians say top three of wicked kings. So bad was he that he had his stepbrother killed. He had his um, wife killed. He had his uh, lover killed and even his own mother killed. Pretty wicked guy. Had it out for Christians. Didn't want Christianity in the place at all. Wanted Rome eradicated for Christians. And, and in fact, a few short leaders, Paul would lose his, not just his life, but his head at the hands of Nero. He wrote this just before his execution. Peter also would lose his life at the hands of Nero. And so here's Paul in a dungeon going like, man, times are tough. It's like us living in North Korea today. Who'd want to choose to live there as a Christian? Yeah, I'll get my hand in my pocket too. It wasn't just uncool to be a Christian. It was like, or uncommon, it was not allowed. And so here's Paul, and Paul's like in, in this prison cell, and he's writing his letter to Timothy, saying, Timothy, 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 oh, Timothy, if you can get one thing straight. Paul knows he's coming to the end of his life. We see that in the end of 2 Timothy. So he's taking advantage of this, like kind of like his last word, his last letter. Some of us wish, hope we have with our loved ones. And so he's like, ah, Timothy, if you miss everything, just get this. Be courageous for Jesus Christ. Don't back down, don't give up, don't look around. Get your eyes on Jesus and go. And it's not like he's even doing it like an exhortation, like you morons, get it together. He's not doing that. He's doing it from the vantage point of a loving spiritual father for his spiritual son. He's like, son, I love you enough to tell you this and, and, and I so desperately want you to su succeed, not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes. And so this picture is Paul writing Timothy and it's a spiritual father to a spiritual son, sort of like, you know, fathers we do with our sons sometimes. You get across the table and you're like, son, look at me, look at me, look at me. This is so important. I say it's because I love you. My heart for you is here. It's Paul. Father to son, it's also sort of like a coach, halftime. Team, we're getting pummeled, but don't give up. There's a second half. Don't give in. Don't get your heads from looking down. Look up. We've got a mission on hand. We're going we're gonna to go after this and do our best, for, win this game. It's like an army sergeant telling his troop, Guys, we're losing the battle. It doesn't seem like there's any hope, but you know what? There's, it's too important to give up now. Like there's ground to take. There's, there's a focus. We, we can't shrink back. We have to forge ahead. The, the mission is too serious. And so as much as it's Paul to Timothy, this is really God to you and I today. It's, you know, the Bible wasn't written for us just to have a little inside scoop on, well, that was a nice little letter Paul wrote Timothy. This is for us. Same message, same time, same, this is for us. And so we need to get into this and understand this. I just have two points today. 
So important, though, are they, that I pray you'll listen up and take them to heart. Big things at stake for all of us, for your life, for my life, for our church. Number one is this, I want you to think about. It's more than a rah-rah speech. It's an encouragement to stand for Christ. Here's number one thing I want you to write down. Number one is I need encouragement to stand for Christ. You and I need encouragement to stand for Christ. Yes, exhortation, but also encouragement. Desperate times call for drastic measures and deep encouragement. This is really Paul to Timothy. Let me start at verse one. I told you we're not going to skip a verse in this whole book. Every word in here is important. You know that, right? Not one word is in here, but like, oh, wow, I didn't know it was going to be there. That doesn't mean anything. Every word's important. So here's what it says. Greeting, number one, verse, chapter one, verse one, Paul, who wrote the book. I don't know why theologians debate it. It's right here. All these guys, all these theological debates. Well, who do you think wrote the book of Paul? I know who wrote the book of Paul. How do I know? Because I can read. Paul, who is Paul? An apostle of Jesus Christ. This is important. We skip over these for a few verses most of the time, right? Just get to, get me to the meat. This is the meat. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What's, what's he trying to do? With, is he trying to like brag on you now? Like, oh, I'm an apostle. That's not it. He's trying to give you the authority of why he's able to teach this into Timothy's life and our lives. Paul's an apostle. Aren't any apostles today? Might be some of the apostolic um, mandate, but there's no apostles. Why is that? Because apostles were in that, they, they were the ones who uniquely saw all the pivotal events of Jesus' life play out before them. They were at Jesus' baptism. They watched him teach and preach and watched the miracles and, and actually happened to, happened to be there when he died on the cross. And then these are the guys that actually interacted with Jesus after he rose again. We're like, did he really rise again? These guys are like, he rose again. I saw him. I walked with him. I talked with him. I, like, these are the apostles. And so Paul's saying here, he's like, I'm such a, some random guy telling you some good stuff here. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we read the newspaper, like the, Pel- the Voice of Pelham. We read it, and, you know, St. Catherine Standard, Toronto Star, USA Today, and something back, is this really for real? Do these guys have any credentials? Like, why should I even, like, Paul's like, get that out of your head. Every person here needs to sit up and pay attention. This is coming from an apostolic authority. How did Paul become an apostle of Jesus Christ? Look at this, by the will of God. I love that distinction. Paul wasn't the guy who's, like, woke up one morning, he's like, you know what would be really cool if I was an apostle? Get to the wood shop, you know, scratch apostle on a piece of wood and put it over his door, apostle Paul. He wasn't the guy that was like, you know what, if I really did something in my life, I should go to U of H, University of Heaven, and get the apostleship degree. He didn't do that. You know how Paul became an apostle? You remember the story? Fighting and to, to also be on the Nero page, eradicating Christianity. He's on the road to Damascus to like take out more Christians. And all of a sudden, like, bam, Jesus shows up, great big light, puts him on his face, blind. And God took him from darkness to light in that moment and set him on a different path. Jesus still wears the C, the captain, calls the apostles, Paul, one of them, to wear the A, the alternate captain. Paul was an apostle by the will of God. According to the promise of the life that is in Jesus Christ. You know what the driving force behind Paul's life, that every life in Jesus, you know what the driving force is? It's in the reality that we have been given a brand new life in Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel. Because of Christ's life in him, because he was once dead, and now he's alive with eternal life pumping through these, these, these wimpy little earthly veins. 
but power by the hope and the promise of eternal life that starts now and goes into eternity. This is why Paul is writing to Timothy. This is why God is writing to us through Paul. Who's this to? We covered this to Timothy. Look at what he says here. Though my beloved child, my beloved child, it's not a message of like, come on, pull up your bootstraps. It's not a message of like trying to like hammer him. He's trying to give him hope. And, and out of this whole message oozes Paul's love for Timothy, God's love for us. God's love for us. Sometimes we take the, the challenging messages, oh, God doesn't love me. God loves us. That's why he's giving us this. He wants to see us as Paul wants to see Timothy endure till the end. God wants to see us endure till the end because he loves us and he has our best at heart. Look what he says next. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a terrific trifecta of Paul that he often begins letters with. Actually, usually he just begins with grace and mercy, uh, grace and peace. Here he adds mercy. These are things that Paul knows that Timothy desperately needs if he's ever going to even come close to living this out. God knows spiritual breakfast of champions for believers includes these three ingredients, grace, mercy, and peace. We can't do this without these things. What's grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. God generously giving us all things through Jesus Christ. What's mercy? The daily reminder that God withholds the judgment that we deserve. He withholds it every day. We deserve judgment, but he withholds it. You know what he does instead? If you have your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us a full brand new pardon every day and also a pass to all his eternal favor and blessings. And then peace. Oh, the world longs for peace. We long for peace. What's peace is the assurance that all is great with God because of Jesus Christ. All is great with God because of Jesus Christ. And if everything's great with God, then everything's good in my world. And I can have peace every night because God and Jesus are on my side. Give me peace and I win every time. This is the message here. Guy King says this. It's a reminder that grace is needed for every service, mercy for every failure, and peace for every circumstance. It goes on a few next verses just to say how thankful he is. Again, it seems like it's meaningless to us. Let's get to the bigger deal, but this is important for us. Verse three, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Paul, hey, I'm not, I'm not saying this because I think it's good. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just to serve the Lord. I'm only serving God. I'm not fearing man right now. I'm just serving God. Just like my ancestors with a clear conscience. How can you have a clear conscience in this life? Was Paul perfect? Absolutely not. Sinner like us, how do you have a clear conscience? Because he knew, I'm just going to do what's right before God. I'm going to strive for godliness, trusting that Jesus is strong enough in every other area to, to cover me. As I remember you constantly, my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, clearly Timothy was having a tough go with being a pastor. You guys don't get that. I get that. You think it's all smiles and giggles. Oh, there's tears. You think it's all good night sleeps. Oh, there's nights you don't sleep at all. Do you know what Paul says? Like, I'm praying for you. Who doesn't need prayer to keep going? Every one of us. I'm praying for you, and I remember you. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy, and that I might be filled with joy. Little dungeon all by himself, longing for human contact. The one person that pops in his brain, you know what he thinks about? He thinks of Timothy. You know what it does with, I see Paul in the dungeon, just thinking of Timothy, and a little smile is coming across his face. It just brings me joy to see how you're still going for the Lord. Everyone else is running away, but you're still going. 
first few verses are just, just really encouragement for Paul to Timothy. It's really just encouragement from God to us. Everything that's true in, of Paul and Timothy is true of God and your life. Paul's simply passing the torch. The Olympic race, you know, it starts at one end of the country, goes to the next, and everyone gets a mile to run and pass the torch. Here's, here's Paul passing the proverbial torch to Timothy. He's going, take it, my son. Take it and run. Don't look back. Just go. I'm with you. God's with you. I want to encourage you. Don't we need this today? God's passed us a torch from the generation before us. We can't drop that torch of faith. We can't drop the torch of the word of God. We can't drop the torch of Jesus Christ. We need to run with it. And man, do we need encouragement to do so. I'm just encouraging these first few verses right here that, that, that God is just saying to us the same thing that Paul said to Timothy. Grace and mercy and peace to you Serve the Lord like I am with a clear conscience. And I'm, prayers are what's going to carry you. And there's joy. You're beloved. And this has everything to do with me in 2018. This has everything to do with me in 2018. Timothy and I have so much in common. Timothy and you have so much in common. Here's three things that we have in common that we know that these can apply to us as much as they apply to him. We have the same Christ. We serve the same Christ. 2018 is no different about serving Jesus than it was in, in A.D. 64 to 68. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We've been saved. Does that excite anyone anymore? A little bit? A lot. We've been saved. The Lord's graciously saved. What do we want to do now? Just, just give our whole lives to him in response. We serve the same Christ. We really live in the same context. No one called King Nero, but it's the same context. Brothers and sisters, don't be naive today. Look around. Look around. It's getting harder to live for Christ and easier for sure. It's getting more difficult to be a pastor than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. Absolutely. Think about those that you know that take a stand for Christ. You stand up for Christ in the workplace and you might be sitting in the jobless line. For real, it's happened in people in our church in the past three months. You speak up for Christ and you might lose some friends and be on the outside of that circle that you so desperately want to be in. Look at the media. It's closing in on, on everything Christian and all the Christian things are being pushed out. We don't even hear about them anymore because the, the, the liberal media is controlling things. School. You might pass in Jesus' eyes, but a pass in Jesus' eyes might mean a failure in your prof's eyes. It's intense. It's not a world for the faint of heart. It's you know, even here of, of Trinity Western University and, and different things around, around Canada where you know, we, we can't issue a law degree right now because we don't agree with everything else and we're just trying to stand on God's word. I have a doctor friend of mine who sent me a memo uh, from a, the colleagues of doctors that almost basically says that there might be a day coming, which I'm pretty sure there is, but I can't stand for truth on that, where you know, if a doctor won't perform abortions and, and euthanasia, that they can't get their doctor certificate because you're not handling the right duty of care with your patient. I 
Thank the Lord we're not getting killed for our faith today, but it's not much different than Rome and 2 Timothy. This, this whole book is for us. We're going to unpack this over the next number of weeks. But it's also the same call, the same call that, that Paul has given to Timothy, which we're going to read about in just a second, is the same call that God has given us. We are here not just for our own comfort, but to contend for the faith. We are here not just for our own safe, safety, but for the sake of the gospel call. And we need everything that Timothy needs. And so I know some of you think probably, well, this applies to everybody but me. If you're a Christian, this applies to you. I know some of you want to come to church and just be coddled, and yet it's not a joke. The faith is serious. It's for real. God wants us to take this seriously and to, to know that he's behind us in all these things. And as you read this, just think of everything that Paul says to Timothy, God is saying to you today including this, including this, all that encouragement that you're loved and he's with you, but also this, that the last few verses just point out this, that my main purpose is to live for Christ alone. My main purpose is to live for Christ alone. Look what he says, all these, all these blessings, all these things like, go, go, Timothy, go, Timothy. And then he says this in, in verse five. I want to see them, I'd be filled with joy and, and know this. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and is now, I am sure, dwelling in you also. For this reason, because of his faith, I remind you, here's the call that Paul is giving to Timothy, that God is giving to us. Here's the call. Here's the courageous call. There's really only one way to live for Christ, and it's with courage. I remind you of this, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. My main purpose is to live for Christ alone through living out, first and foremost, a sincere faith. See that? Look in your Bibles, don't take my word for it. Sincere faith. What's it mean to be courageous? It means to live a sincere faith in the face of a godless culture. What does it mean, this sincere faith? It means that when Paul looks at Timothy, he's the real deal. He's not faking it. He's not one of those guys at church on Sunday like, yay, we're all saved here, high five. We're gonna go for Jesus, walk out the doors and leave everything at church on Sunday. He's got no masks on. He's not inauthentic. He is absolutely as real as they come. He's not pretending he's more spiritual than he really is. He has a sincere faith. He just truly believes that God actually sent his son to save us. Don't let that message get lost after hearing it over and over and over again. Wow. And that now he lives his life by the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And his desire is to live for Christ alone. This is a sincere faith. The Holy Spirit produces faith. A sincere faith is not one that you're trying to muster up on your own. It's not trying to one that, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to have faith. No, the, you confess Christ, the Spirit indwells you and he produces faith in you and allows that tree of faith to grow. If you're in the faith, you know you're in the faith. It's not 100% a chore. It's hard sometimes, but it just comes naturally to you because God's put that in there. This is what it takes to live courageously, a sincere faith. Side note, look what he says here. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Real gold is what it's worth, not the fake gold. The faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
ask myself as I read this, well, why would he bring his mother and his grandmother into this? Leave my mother out of this, you know? He's reminding Timothy that, hey, the whole goal of your faith is not just about you. It's about impacting others for the glory of God, of God and the gospel. Just like your mother put into your life and her mother put into her life, the goal of your courageous faith is to put your faith into other people's lives. Moms, this is a good encouragement for you, isn't it? How many moms do you wake up at the end of the day going like, does my life matter for anything except picking up dirty socks and making meals? No moms do that? Just my wife, I guess. Good encouragement. Your, your faith will make a difference in your kids, and your goal is to make a difference in your kids' lives. Grandpas and grandmas, well, your job is not just to spoil your kids anymore, your grandkids, and bring them nice toys and gifts. Your goal is to put your faith into your kids and your grandkids that your life might leave a legacy for the Lord. That's true faith. Dads, your goal in life is to much more than bringing home a paycheck every day. I provide for my family, and I'm going to go watch TV and go to sleep. Your faith makes an impact as you, as you disciple your, take seriously your responsibility to lead your family and disciple your kids. This is courageous. Even these little things show courage, don't they? We all know it in our heads. I know I should be doing that. Should be. It takes courage to do it by the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us we're to live by faith and not by sight. A courageous faith leaves a difference in other people's lives. It leaves a mark of faith as you walk through your life. And then Paul goes through into the next, little, the next few verses here, four things of what uh, true faith looks like. Yes, it makes a difference, but here's four things true faith looks like. Here's four marks of a courageous Christian in a godless culture. So this faith, which dwells in you, not in any of a court of your own, but by God's grace, for this reason I remind you, I'm not probably telling you anything new. If you've been in church a long time, like I'm just reminding you of things. If you've been in church more than five years, I'm not here to tell you anything new. I'm just here to remind you of things. If you hear something new out of the pulpit, you can be assured of this. It's probably heresy. You can come and see me after. But for the most part, don't come to church thinking that you're going to hear something brand new like Eureka. Oh, I never left. That's bad. Paul's just reminding us. I'm just reminding you of things you already know, but you need to be reminded of again. Here it is. Four ways this... Powerful, courageous faith plays out in your life. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is yours through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control. Here's the practicalities of this sermon. You all want practicals, right? Well, give me some take-homes. Give me some take-homes. Give me some take-homes. Awesome. Here's some take-homes. Number one, here's how you can live courageous for the Lord as through Paul to Timothy. Number one, be fired up for the work of God. Be fired up for the work of God. This is all it's saying here. For this reason, I write it. Fan into flame the gift of God. Any campers out there? Any campers? Any pyros? Yep, a couple of you with me. Right, right, right. You sat by the fire before, right? And you love watching the fire burn. And when it gets down to pretty much nothing, what's your natural instinct to do? Go to the tent? Not mine. What can we burn? And you find stuff and you jam it in the fire trying to get that fire stoked again. This is what Paul is saying. Stir up the fire in your heart. If that fire in your heart is dwindling, here's how you live courageous. You stir it up to be on fire to invest your life in the kingdom of God again. Fan into flame the gift that God's given you. What's the gift? What's the gift? Some commentators think it's the Holy Spirit. 
That is a gift from God for sure, but that's not the gift it's talking about here. The gift that it's talking about here is when the Holy Spirit comes, 1 Corinthians tells us he brings every believer a gift, a special gift. Like, I'm here, here's my welcome gift. And the gift is a divine enablement to put to use for the kingdom of God. And so he's saying that gift that you have, it's not to be kept to yourself. It's not like a, you get a new car, sit it in the driveway and look at the gift. It's to be put to use for the kingdom of God. The thing with the gift is, too, it's not something that you just get and you're like, oh, well, it's all complete. No, you have to work at it. You have to, just like you have to work at your physical talents to become a better baseball player or whatever you do, preacher. So you have to put your energies, your effort towards developing the gift that you have. And so Paul's telling Timothy, 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 Timothy. We're not sure if Timothy's gift was sort of like, it was so hard that maybe he was losing his passion. I don't know. But he's saying just, whatever, whatever he's saying, he's like, just don't make sure you, make sure you don't lose your passion to put your life to use for the kingdom. Timothy's gift, you know what it was? When Paul laid hands on him and commissioned him to gospel service, it was a preaching gift. Many preachers think, oh, I have the gift and I can just get up and preach. Oh, no, you don't. It's hard, laborsome work. And it's discouraging. And Timothy, don't get discouraged. You know, everyone's running away from your church services. Don't get discouraged. Keep preaching. Fan into flame. Get the bellows out and put some air on that flame. Make sure that fire's burning brightly for the Lord. It's easy, isn't it, to let the fire of passion in our heart for God's work and God's kingdom to, to go out, isn't it? Remember when you were first saved, how fired up you were? I have the Lord. I have a gift. How can I serve? Three years later, four years later, oh man, this is cramping my style. It's not as easy as I thought. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It starts fizzling, fizzling, fizzling. Paul's saying, do what you got to do, but get that fire going again. You're here, even in our church, not for personal comfort, not just to get a message. You're here to serve and put your gift to use. Whatever it takes, get that fire burning again. One Christmas after uh, we celebrated Christmas, a week later, we still happened to be around Ruth's parents' cottage, and they had a cottage way back when. And, and one of her brothers says to me, hey, every year we go out and burn the Christmas tree, and you just happen to be here this year. You want to burn it with us? And I was like, absolutely. Got that old tree out in the middle of the yard. We thought it wouldn't do any damage. We tried lighting that thing up. It just wouldn't take for some reason. You got those little embers burning, and after about... Five minutes, it didn't take long, five minutes. Ben's like, you wait here, I'll be right back. I'm like, what are you going to do? He's like, just stand back, be right here. He went and got this great big can of diesel. And I expected a little dribble on He dumped like $10 of the diesel on the fire. You know, diesel doesn't seem to be as flammable as gas. And so it took a little while. And all of a sudden it was like, and all of a sudden it was like, <laughs> this like 25-foot fire. The lake was right there. So we're all back into the lake, back into the lake, going, uh-oh, the house is right there. We survived. Didn't burn anything down. It was pretty cool, too. It lit up the whole yard. The whole, everybody's cottage was lit up by this fire. That's a picture of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, in your heart, with the gift you have. He wants to pour his spirit upon you, and he wants to light you up. He wants to light you up so the whole world sees the glory of Jesus Christ as you invest your life in his kingdom purposes. The gifts God gives us aren't for us. They're for him. It takes courage. To live your life for the glory of God. Living for Christ is not for the faint of heart. It's not just because you want to get to heaven when, you're, when you die. That's the way you think that you missed it. God, pour your fire on my heart that I might be useful for your kingdom. Let me ask you this before we move on to the next point. Do you know what your gift is? Are you developing your gift? Are you using it? 
God's desire that you don't waste your gift. You don't let the fire in your heart go out for the things of God. General Booth from the Salvation Army says, there's a tendency of fires to go out. So we must watch the fire on the altar of our hearts. Paul to Timothy, don't let your fire go out. Your pastor to you, if your fire is dwindling, like do what it takes, breathe some life onto that. Ask God to make your fire burn. It's the only way you'll be possibly impactful for God's kingdom. Here's the second one. Be courageous for the cause of Christ. It says it right here again. For God gave us a spirit not of fear. See that? It says it in the negative. Spirit not of fear. Not of timidity. Not of shyness. Not of cowardice. I know so many of you, as you're hearing this sermon, like, oh, yeah, that's fine. But I just don't, I, that's just not me. I just don't have that. Like, I'm just not a bold person for the Lord, and I got all these excuses running through my head. Well, get this. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. See what it says right there? The opposite of that? God gave you a spirit of courage. Many commentators think Timothy was a quiet, shy, timid guy that was like, why would you choose me, God? Because that's my plan. Now get out there and do it, buddy. I can relate to that a little bit. And know this. The spirit of fear that wells up with you, that's not of God. That's of the enemy. Courage is the opposite of fear. I don't know why he didn't say God gave you a spirit of courage. Maybe because we all resonate with the word fear a whole lot more, don't we? As soon as I start preaching about standing for Christ, I know the first thing is like... You're looking around going, that's for him, that's for him. No, this is for you. Fear. Courage. Fear generally dominates Christians in our day. Courage, though, is of the Lord that God has given us. He doesn't even say muster up courage. He says you've already been given courage. You have it. You just need to tap into it. I'm amazed today how the church has become like a football stadium, to be honest. What's a football stadium? We're going to watch NFL this afternoon. Anyone with me? A couple of us. Good. Enjoy. What's a football stadium? It's like 70,000 people screaming their hearts out at 22 people, all the out-of-shape people eating hot dogs and drinking Coke, telling the 22 guys who are best in shape and know the game better than they do how to play football, and thinking, that's courage. Well, you get my gear on, and I'm going to cheer. That's my courage. I think the courage is being on the field. The courage is like putting your life on the line. The courage is getting in the game and not sitting on the sidelines, just coming to church and hanging out and talking Christianese. The courage is when you're actually going to, you know what, I'm going to work out to develop my gifts and I'm going to put them to use on the field for the glory of God. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is willing to step up in the face of fear. Remember when I first started high school, I signed up for football because I loved the sport, not realizing that um, grade nine, I ended up being the starting quarterback for the senior team. I was thrilled with that for the first few practices until I realized that these guys are going to crush me. When I was in high school, we played against grade 13s, and someone went to the victory lap, which was grade 14. So I'm talking like 21-year-olds. And I was this little wimpy little, I was smaller, smaller than I was this wimpy little grade 9. Remember before the first game, the coach comes to me, he's like, he's like, Daryl, that's how he talked. Daryl, come here. <laughs> he's like, here's the play, and I just run it. So I was like, coach, I don't think I can do it. He's like, you can do it. Slapped me on the back and away. I went. I remember getting out there the first time. I found the right guy to stand behind, you know, and he was just say, make sure the ball's in the right place. And got down in my little crouch, you know, and the guy in front of him, honestly, was like, he had a beard bigger than mine now. Long hair, tattooed. Look, he just got out of jail for the day. 
He started growling at me for real. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. My knees were literally knocking. Ready, set, please don't hug. Took the first snap, gave it to the running back who got slaughtered in the backfield. Second play, I didn't even get the ball to the running back. I got hit before I got the ball and it hurt. Third play, I was like, thank you, we didn't go anywhere. We can punt now, <laughs> ran off the field. And the coach was like, you got smoked. And I'm like, sure did. <laughs> all smiles. How'd it feel? Terrible. But man, was it, I'd rather be there than on the sidelines watching. Takes courage to get out there. My buddies on the side are like, please don't put me in, coach. I'm like, put me in, coach. I'd rather be there getting crushed than here doing nothing, cheering and eating oranges. Same in the Christian faith. God's given us courage to get out there. And be effective for the power, by the power of God. In Joshua 24, 15, here's what it takes. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know who you're going to serve. You're going to choose to serve a lot of things this year. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and this house, this church, we're serving the Lord. We're on the field. It's going to hurt. might not be pretty. But we're going to do it in courage, the courage that God supplies God doesn't just supply courage. Look what else he does. He supplies power. Not just get rid of the fear, give us courage. He gives us power. I know many of you are thinking this. It's all good to talk this big game pastor, and I love the motivational speech. This isn't a motivational speech. This is the call of God on your life. But already the excuses are flooding by you, but I'm too weak. I'm not gifted enough. I just can't do it. You're listening to the growl of the enemy instead of realizing that God has given you courage and power to accomplish his purposes. This word power is the exact same word used in Acts 1, verse 8. Remember Acts 1, verse 8? We studied it two years ago. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you power to be my witnesses. Remember power? Dynamus, dynamite. He's going to give you a spiritual dynamite. We are walking sticks of spiritual dynamite for the purposes and the glory of God. He's going to give us power to accomplish everything he calls us to. God doesn't say, hey, get out there and do it, kid. He's called the play. He's orchestrated everything for us. He knows it's going to succeed because he's behind us. He's given us power, spiritual power. Think of a cell phone. What do you do every day when you get home? You plug it in. When you plug it in, what happens? You see the power bar going up and up and up and up. God has given us all the power we need to accomplish anything he's called us to in life. All the things of the Bible, you say you can't do it. You can do it. God gives us the power. The key for you and I is we have to remain plugged into the power source in the word and in prayer the more we plug into the word the more power we have lacking power then you're probably not plugged into Jesus you're plugged into Jesus you don't have to worry about having fear anymore you don't have to worry about not being able to accomplish his purposes you have power more power than you know what to do with I love those stories of people who have the hysterical strength you heard of those people Life or death situations where all of a sudden hysterical strength comes over and you know, someone's diving in a current that no person should swim in and they're pulling out a loved one or you know, guys are pulling cars off of people. My favorite story ever I read about 10 years ago was about a guy in Maine, an 18-year-old kid, and typical farm kid. He must have been a bit bigger than a typical farm kid because what was happening in his life is his dad was working on a tractor. The tractor fell on his father. And this 18-year-old kid picked up a 2,000-pound tractor all by himself and held it there until somebody could grab his father's feet and pull him out. And you're like, that's awesome. 
How could he do that? There's no physical, hum, physically human way he could do that. Guess what? God gives us the same spiritual power to pull people out of the grip of death to accomplish things that only God could accomplish as we trust in him. Ephesians tells us that God gave us the same power as Christians today, right here, right now, that he gave Jesus to raise him from the dead. That's some spiritual power. I don't have the power. Yes, you do. I love this verse. Write this one down. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Christians, we're not just supposed to be having theological debates all over the place with all these things that matter, but, you know, Christianity is not just a talking about being Christians and all the fun things you wish you could do or want to do. Christianity is putting into action. God's giving you the power that you need. Think of Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Fame of Christian faith, and it says in that chapter that people accomplished unheard feats for the kingdom of God because of his power. You can't be courageous for Jesus. He's giving you the power to be courageous to stand up for him when everyone else runs away, to preach to your family and friends who so desperately need the Lord to fight off the attacks of the enemy, to live the Christian life in victory, to even endure, faithfully, faithfully endure hardships and even make it to the very end. Quite honestly, without the power of God, I'm not making it to the very end. I'm too weak. My flesh is too strong at times, but the power of the Lord, that's where it's at. It's not just a power. Look what's next. Power and with love. I love how God just doesn't give us power to influence others. He gives us the love that we need to influence others. This is an agape love. This is I will give myself when I get nothing in return kind of love. This is the kind of love that you don't have apart from Jesus Christ. You love your family and friends because there's something in it for you or it makes you feel good or whatever, but you don't have this kind of love without Jesus Christ. But here's the truth. When you accepted Jesus Christ... You know, before you turn the love on, I'm supposed to love in a supernatural way. You turn the love faucets on, there's nothing there. Nothing will come out. You accept Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you reach under the sink, you turn that valve, that shutoff valve, you turn it on, and get the water flowing again, and all of a sudden those love valves, they pour love and pour love and pour love, and you can't fill enough cups of love of what God gives you. It's important because I think sometimes we think being courageous is just standing for truth. And we're going to be a truth guy, I'm going to be a truth guy, I'm going to be truth people, but you can't be truth people without being love people. Anyone can pound truth down what they believed on someone's throat. Few people, nobody though the power of the Lord can actually stand on truth and love the person unconditionally as God loved us. Truth and love. So Jesus came and said, right? Jesus came and he came in the fullness of truth and grace. Grace and truth. What's that mean? He wasn't all truth. He wasn't all grace. Wasn't 50 50, well, 50 truth, 50 grace, fullness of truth and grace. And he gives us the ability to do the same as we live courageously. We courageously stand for Christ, but we also courageously love each other in the church. Pretty, pretty weak family if we don't love each other. In the world, God gives you the ability to love people, the supernatural love that everybody else goes, wow, there's got to be something to that Jesus person they're talking about because they shouldn't be loving that prof who keeps dissing them in class. They shouldn't be loving that other student in school who keeps 
ripping on them. They shouldn't love the person who's rejected them. They shouldn't still be loving that unlovable person that no one else likes. How come they love him with such genuine love? God has given us a spirit of power, but that power must be tempered with love. That's where the fullness of the gospel comes out. Far too many people just truth, far too many people just grace, just love, truth and grace. That's where courage comes. Anyone can, this is what I believe, anyone can do that. That's easy. This is what I believe, but I love you at the same time. This is why I'm telling you this. Courageous. Courageous. God has called us to courageous living for him. Last one, self-control. Very simply put, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. To be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Why do I bring the Holy Spirit in this? Because you can't control yourself without the Holy Spirit. You know one of the most profound ways that God calls us to be courageous in this world today? It's not just to say the right things. It's to actually live a life of self-control. What's the world say? Oh my goodness, the world says just do whatever you want. Make yourself happy. Quite honestly, that's easy. But no, I'm choosing to follow God. I want God's way. I want to live a life of self-control that the world might see that I, by God's grace, could control my things and put them under his authority. I want to live righteously, not sinfully, for the glory of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.16 tells us that the whole world is in sin and the desires of the, the, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's how the world lives. It's not from God, but from the world. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. I'm all that. I'm going to do whatever I want and as long as it makes me happy. Yet here's the deal. Romans 8 9 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. If the spirit of God dwells in you, what the spirit of God does, he doesn't just make you follow rules now, all these Christian rule, rule, rule. No, he compels you to want to live in control under the rule, the righteous rule of God, knowing that that's the best way to live for your good and God's glory. Really self-control is self-mastery. My impulse says, let my tongue go, let my fist fly. Spirit of God says, no, 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 no. We want, we want you to live courageously that the world sees a difference in your life. It's like driving a Corvette down the QEW and only going 100 kilometers an hour. It's not weakness. Self-control is not weakness. It takes a much stronger person to have self-control than it does to let loose like everybody else does. Courageous. See that? For God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's really how the world sees Jesus Christ. We can tell them over and over and over again. We can, we can proof text everything. We can give them all the, all the case we can give them for Christ. But the world sees the true reality of Jesus through courageous men and women who are going to put it all on the line for God. And unfortunately, brothers and sisters, there's no like second tier Christians. Like, well, that's for the super spiritual and I'm going to sit back here and I'm just going to do my thing. That's not it. Read, read your Bible again. Read the New Testament again. Those who choose the opposite of courage miss out on the fullness of God, the full impact of their life, the fullness of life in Jesus. 
Those who choose courage, it might be more difficult. There might be consequences. There might be some things that don't go the way you think they should. It might not be the perfect Hollywood life, but let me assure you this. It is the life that God's ordained. It's the best life. It's the good life in Jesus Christ, and it has eternal dividends for all of eternity. This is a life that makes a difference. This is what, this is what kind of church we want to be. It's the kind of people we want to be. I'm not yet courageous, trust me. I'm asking God as I study this, this book, God, give me courage to preach this book. I'm not yet courageous. I want to be courageous. I want our church to be courageous. I don't, I don't care if everyone in the world says we're an awesome church. Who cares? I want God to look at us and say, wow, this is a church I'm pleased with. It's a church I'm willing to put my spirit upon and bless and strengthen for the purposes of God. I want our people, I want you guys to be courageous so that we can together live out the life that God has called us to. Story in the end, I think sometimes we look at these things, we think it's for somebody else and another time, another day. Quick story to help you realize how significant this is. The story from the last 10 years in Turkey. And a young pastor just started out his ministry and he was so courageous for the Lord and he was determined that he was going to make a difference in the community he lived in and a community that was opposite of God in every way. And so he formed a little group of guys that he thought they came to him and wanted Bible studies. He was super excited with this. So he met these, this group of guys on this road uh, somewhere in the remote area he lived and was going to walk towards a place where we can do this Bible study. Before they took two steps forward, it was an ambush. Guys jumped him, tied him up, stabbed him, killed him. Funeral. Amazing, true story. A man's name was Nakati. Thinking that they'd eradicated then Christianity from that little area of Turkey, they went on their merry way only to find that one of this guy's friends determined that he was not going to back down. He was going to be courageous and continue walking with the Lord. As he stepped up to continue his this pastor's work, he found himself in a similar predicament as his buddy did a year before, and he also died at the hands of stabbing knowing that full well that probably could happen to him, but I'm going to be courageous for the Lord. Two men died, and the widow of the second man that died ended up after the second funeral, standing in front of the whole area, the village, community, whatever you want to call it, stood in front of the whole village and got to proclaim the truth and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ as she stood and says, I forgive the killers because of Jesus Christ forgiving me and gave the gospel to the whole place because two men were willing to stand in courage and make a difference with not just their life, but also their death. I don't think God's calling us to give our lives in that way, courageously, but God is calling us to courageously give our lives for Jesus, believing that he's gonna use them to make famous the name of Jesus and to spread the gospel message. The only question remains is, will you be courageous for Jesus? Will you be courageous for Jesus? We're gonna learn about this for the next nine, 10 weeks. Buckle up, it's not gonna be necessarily a nice comforting, I think it will be in some ways, but it's needed, and it's here, and this is what we need our church needs more than ever before. This is what our country needs. This is what St. Catharines needs. This is what Welland needs. That's what Grimsby needs and Niagara on the Lake needs and Font Hill needs and this is what your workplace needs and your family needs. They don't need coward Christian any longer. They need courageous Christian to love them enough to share the gospel and put your life on the line for Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, you're 
word is so clear and so powerful and so alive. Thank you, God, for the goodness of your son to rescue us, but not just to rescue us, but to show us the path of life and the path of life abundant. God, I pray as we go out through 2 Timothy this coming year, would you allow the words of the page that I just read to come alive in our hearts? Would you give us, Lord, would you give us, would you help us to fan into flames the gift you've given us? Would you give us power and courage and love and self-control? Would you give us the capacity to live 100% for Jesus Christ? Would you help us, God, not waste our lives as so many are prone to do today? But help us instead, oh God, to give our all to the one who gave his all for us. Oh, how we love you, God. Oh, how we don't mind these words of challenge and encouragement because we truly want just what you want. You've made such a difference in our lives, God, that we want to surrender all again and want to live our lives courageously for you, Father, for you, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Make us, God, mold us, use us for your glory. Amen.